Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. I'm Manny. And this is another Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunter Spotlight. So we're continuing with the uh, the storyline, the reading order of Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters. If you haven't checked this out uh, previously, go back and listen to uh, last week's episode on Friday, where Manny and I talked about Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha, which is uh, kind of the first chapter of the, the preludes, of which there's five. And then we're going to get into the main event with Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters number one. And Charles Soule, who's kind of the showrunner of this event, I guess you'd say, has gone on record saying, if you want the story to know what's going on, you just have to read Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, the miniseries. It's six issues. Mm -hmm. But if you want a richer experience and you want to see what other titles and how this War of the Bounty Hunters and this hunt for Han Solo encased in carbonite affects other corners of the Star Wars universe in that time period between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, then you're going to want to read everything. So even if you read everything, it's it's one book a week, mostly a couple of weeks, there's two books. So if this book that we're going to talk about today, which is Star Wars issue 13, is any indication I'm I'm on for all I'm on for all the books. Like let me let me get the whole experience. Let me uh, you know, collect them all. And at some point, if I don't want them anymore, then I'll just sell it as a big, you know, collection. <laughs> hey, here's the whole story, throw it up on eBay or whatnot. So I thought overall that this was pretty solid. Again, it was continuing that feel of exactly how the characters felt and exactly how the world of Star Wars felt at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. But it, it it's a richer experience, like uh, like Charles Soule was saying, you know, we're seeing other characters like Sagwa, other huts. Um, there's going to be other, obviously, bounty hunters and smugglers that come in throughout the story. So, yeah, I'm I'm on board it. And it's funny, you know, Manny and I, we both talk about how we're more Star Trek fans at this point than we are Star Wars. But reading this and seeing how rich the Star Wars world can be it's kind of rekindling my love of, of Star Wars because here's the thing. Like I I've only ever seen the movies I've read a few of the comics here and there. I've read a couple novels here and there, but I'm, you know, I haven't watched like clone wars, which everybody tells me clone wars is like the best star Wars story ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm getting kind of getting at, and you know, I haven't watched Mandalorian or any of that stuff, but I guess what I'm getting at is when you're a, kind of a more casual star Wars fan, like I am, and you're only consuming Star Wars, e- even with Disney's, uh, you know, since they acquired Lucasfilm, even with their much accelerated release schedule, you know, because when Lucasfilm had it, you know, they put out the three movies and then it was like, what, 20 years later, they put out another and then, you know, a couple of years, another, a couple of years, another Disney acquired the property. Now, we're, you know, supposedly we're going to start getting to the point once we get all this COVID nonsense behind us maybe one every year or one every two years, which I had talked in the past about how that sort of ruins the the specialness of star Wars. If you get too much of it. Yeah, I agree. But, but the thing that makes star Trek work, it, it's on television and you get mm-hmm. a richer story just like you do in this event because you're getting more content in smaller chunks more often. So, I guess as I'm reading this event, I, and I know I'm going to be reading, uh, you know, at least one Star Wars comic a week 
for the next six months, at least one, I'm looking forward to getting smaller chunks of the story that kind of flesh out these characters that I, that I loved as a kid. And it's making me want to go back and get caught up on all that star Wars stuff that I bought. Like when Marvel reacquired the license, I bought star Wars, the main book for, I don't know, the first 20 issues. And I think I only read like the first 10. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I bought the first couple of Darth Vader, which obviously I'm kicking myself now that I didn't keep buying Darth Vader you know, when Dr. Afra made her first appearance, cause I think that book goes even raw for like 200 bucks now. Um, but, but there are those books out there now. And it's, this is knowing that those books are nested in between the movies that I, you know, still love those original three. It's making me want to go back and, and read more of the star Wars. So if that's Marvel's intent, which you got to kind of think it is, you know, Boba Fett being the anchor of the series it's bounty hunters. It's Boba Fett. It's the 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 story that fits in between two events in the movies that was a big time jump. I guess it worked on me because it's it's really making me want to read more Star Wars content and consume more Star Wars content. So that's kind of how where I am right now, Manny. What about you? Yeah, I I, I uh, after reading this, I, I was curious to see how they would do the preludes if it would just be kind of like a mention or. Or they're they're on they're still on their main story, but they're gonna they're kind of gonna weave it into it as well. But no, that the book really dives in head first into into the the bounty hunters, uh, the war of the bounty hunters, uh, and I like that. And it it makes me feel like I don't just need the 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 main books of the war of the bounty hunters. It, it makes me feel like I I want to see what all the other rest of of the characters uh, I remember from these films are doing at the time and how, and how this one event of Han Solo being frozen in carbonite uh, affects them and, and what, and what kind of, what kind of situations it put them in. Uh, and it, it's, and I think what's really cool about it is that these are what I'll call the legacy characters. It, it's not something that we, that has been recently brought up or anything like that these are from the old school um you know films from from way back when and i think that's that that's what i like because i'm you know i'm not very i don't really like the new stuff as much as as i would say the old some some of the old films so it's nice to see luke and chewbacca uh and and having to deal with trying to find han solo and trying to uh, figure out what's going on and so I, like i'm excited to see like uh the darth vader, vader book and see what what's going on there or, or the dr afra book and, and see how that all connects and so it, it makes for like you said got me hooked for six months on star wars books because i gotta get them gotta read them gotta get the full story and and i can't i'm not mad about that because it it's it's, it's part of what makes um Star Wars fun and, and reading comics fun is events like this that they can really engulf you for a couple of months and get you excited about the next issue and the next issue and maybe even get you back on the other books as well. So good stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the other part is we keep talking about how this fills in the, the story of Boba Fett from when he left cloud city and on Bespin to when he shows up in Jabba's palace and return of the Jedi the other part of this is 
one of the things as as a kid, even when I was watching it, you know, Luke left Dagobah supposedly before he had finished training. He was not, you know, Yoda was telling him, don't leave, don't leave. You're not a full Jedi yet. You're not a full Jedi. And then he shows up in Jabba's palace and he, he's a Jedi. Like he calls himself a Jedi. Does that mean he's a Jedi? Maybe he's just saying it. He thinks he is. He thinks he's not. In this issue, we get some hints and we'll cover it uh, in a mm-hmm. few minutes here. But we get some hints about what Luke might have done in terms of training and learning on his own in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So again, it's it's filling in not only the Boba Fett story, but maybe some some of what was going on with the Rebel Alliance, what was going on with Luke, what was going on with Darth Vader and whatnot. So uh, it's it's adding to again those movies that that we really loved, um, you know, watching as kids. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive into the book. Uh, as I mentioned, it's Star Wars uh, issue number 13. Let me shrink it down a little bit here so it fits in the um, screen. There we go. So if you're watching on eBay or uh, eBay, if you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> I was on eBay earlier today. Can you tell? I got eBay on the brain. Uh, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see uh, no dialogue, no, no words, <clears throat> but uh, we're just going to kind of go through the book here. So cover <clears throat> Luke. Uh, 3PO, R2-D2, Chewbacca on the Smuggler's Moon, Prelude, The Hunt for Han Solo. And uh, we're told the, the kind of the equivalent of the screen crawl here. Rebel fleet awaits word from their missing comrade, Shara Bay, lost on Starlight Squadron's first mission, and Han Solo, frozen in carbonite and in the hands of the infamous bounty hunter, Boba Fett. A friendly signal from the Imperial Star Destroyer, Tarkin's Will, reaches the redemption in the middle of the night. Shara is alive, hiding in the depths of the ship, and gleaning information about the Imperial systems, but the rebellion still seeks Boba Fett and his cargo. It's written by Charles Soule. Ramon Rosanis is the artist. Rochelle Rosenberg does the colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Covers by Carlo Pagulian, Jason Paz, and Rain Barreto. Uh, so we start off Deep Space, Rebel Fleet. Uh, again, Luke is, is talking about how, as a Jedi, he should be able to feel the force flowing through him. And if you remember way back in episode four when Ben Kenobi had just, just started Luke on the training and he put on, you know, the, the helmet with the blast shield down and he had one lightsaber and there was just one of these little floating balls. Um, and Luke was having trouble blocking the laser from one. And then, you know, Ben coaches him. Ben Kenobi's like, uh, you know, just, you got to relax, feel the force, you know, flowing through you, let go, whatever. And he's able to block the lasers well, now, obviously, Luke has, has progressed because now there's, what, two, four, six, eight, nine that we see in, on the page of these floating balls. And uh, on the next page, we see him, you know, lighting up his lightsaber, jumping around. He, he's not blindfolded this time. Uh, he can see, but he's dodging a lot of them. He's thinking back to uh, Yoda's training, saying, you'll, you'll know when you're calm and at peace. And you see him even kind of close his eyes as he's, uh, as he's fighting them. And then 3PO comes and interrupts because he has a message for, uh, for Luke. And even as Luke is not looking, <laughs> he's looking at C-3PO, he's able to dodge or uh, deflect some lasers from the last ball, slice it in half. And then 3PO apologizes for interrupting the training and says that uh, R2-D2 has a message for him. And uh, 3PO just came to, uh, to translate basically. So they say, okay, you know, 
what's going on? What did you want to tell me? And before they get a chance to hear what Artu has to say, Chewbacca comes in and he says that he heard from a contact of his on the smuggler's moon of Nar Shada. There's been a, a sighting of Boba Fett there. And since Boba Fett has possession of the carbonite that has Han Solo, they want to head to the, the moon. So Luke's like, yep, yep, got it. Sh should we bring Lando? And Chewie still doesn't trust Lando at this point. And remember, Lando had just betrayed them in Bespin. And so they figure, well, all right, let's go ourselves. Let's see if we can uh, track down Han Solo. So they head to the moon. And uh, just as they arrive, R2-D2 is bugging C-3PO. Hey, I, I got something important that I need to tell Luke. And 3 po is like, uh, you know, whatever bit of gossip in typical uh, C-3PO fashion, whatever bit of gossip, it's not as important as uh, finding, you know, Master Solo. So uh, we can't bother him with, you know, silliness at this crucial moment. So he kind of just brushes R2-D2 off. And so the Millennium Falcon lands and they meet up with their, uh, their contact there which is a, a Wookiee named Sagwa, who I had never heard or seen before this issue, but I did see some people on social media um, really happy that this character showed up. So he must have been in either previous uh, Star Wars novels or comics or something. He, he, he you know, obviously he seemed like uh, there were, he had a, a following, he had a fan base. Um, and we're, we're told by C-3PO that Sagwa was a very old friend of Chewbacca's and uh, apparently Chewbacca uh, freed him from a spice mine on on Kessel, and so that's why their their bond is so strong. And so, this is the contact after Chewbacca had spread word among all the Wookies he was looking for Boba Fett. Sagwa said, "Hey, you know, I may have a lead for you." And so they're talking, and Sagwa informs them about this warrior who defeated the long-standing champion of the arena called Wormrin Lictor, which we saw again, in last week's episode in the, the alpha issue of War of the Bounty Hunters that we covered, uh, Boba Fett was there. He fought under the name Django. And so Luke is wondering, well, it looks like Boba Fett, but Django, obviously not, not the name. So they figure, let's go to the arena. Maybe they keep records on the fighters. We can get some information. Um, I will say that that's probably like one of the weaker points of this plot. You're on a smuggler's moon. You're going to go to an arena First of all, what makes you think they're going to give you the information? Second of all, what makes you think the information that you'll get is actually reliable? And number three, even if it is reliable, what makes you think that they're going to allow you to leave with that information? But it's the only lead they had to go on. And, you know, Luke is pretty, I don't want to say full of himself, but there, there is a level of self-confidence that he has exhibited ever since um, kind of facing Darth Vader and uh, and surviving that encounter and you know having his uh, his jedi abilities at a much higher level than he has uh, in, you know ever before as evidenced by those first couple pages where he's fighting all those floating drones so anyway they go and they ask the lady uh who signed Django fed up and she's like i i you know i the, it's that information's going to cost you cuz nothing's free on narshada and and 3po even spouts a bunch of sayings uh learn to love the lies the third motto of narshada is never tickle a hut and he starts to say the fourth is on shada on narshada business is and luke kind of covers his mouth shut up 3pm let's just figure it out and when the the person that signs people up this weird looking female alien character uh, i don't know what their race is called but it's the same as size noodles from the uh 
the band that sings uh, in Jabba's palace. But anyway, Luke's saying, okay, what was his actual name? I know the name that he fought under, but what was his actual name? And she's like, what, what, what do you think this is? Like, it's not like we ask for ID or something like that's the name he gave. That's all I know. And Luke tries to find out if there's any other information and she gets kind of suspicious and she summons the, uh, the huts of Nar Kanji and uh, they show up and they're like, they want their money, right? They, they're still out, even though Boba Fett left them his winnings, whatever would have been his winnings from uh, the fight in the arena. They're still out because they lost their champion. They lost their meal ticket. And so they want to know where Boba Fett is. They want to track him down as well. And Luke tries to explain, well, we, we don't know where he is either. We're not his friends. That's, that's what we're trying to find out. And so they don't really like that answer. They say, well, you're going to come back to our place and we'll continue this conversation. And uh, very sort of typical Star Wars moment here where you can just see the look on Chewbacca's face. You see the look on Luke's face um, as he lights his lightsaber and like, no, we're not coming with you. Walk, you know, walk away. <laughs> and uh, obviously when these huts see the lightsaber, they think um, just because you have a lightsaber doesn't mean you're a Jedi, but it is something they pay attention to. It's not a weapon that you see very often in this time period of, uh, of Star Wars. So the huts say, hey, we're going to kill the organics. We'll bring the droid uh, and, you know, we'll slice its memory banks open. Anything they know, the droid's going to know. And uh, 3PO's like, that, that's a terrible idea. I don't, I don't know anything. So sure enough, they all start firing their laser blasters and Luke's able to deflect all of the uh, laser blasts back at them. And that's when they realize, oh crap, maybe this is uh, an actual Jedi. He can actually use that lightsaber. Uh, he's very proficient with it. And that's when they remember the Empire has a bounty on um, on Jedis. So they got a new plan. They want to kill the Wookiees, capture Luke so they can sell him for the bounty, find out from the droids anything that's known. So um, Luke's like, well, we don't even know if it was Boba Fett. We're going to have to find another way to, to track Han down. Um, but Chewie doesn't want to leave. It's like, there's got to be more information from Boba Fett here. So uh, he, Chewie kind of loses it, <laughs> goes totally ham here. And he, he pops out from undercover and just starts blasting all these huts. So kind of shows just how great Chewbacca is with a, a blaster. Meanwhile, Sagwa opens up kind of the secret passage that leads them out to the street so that hopefully they can uh, escape. And once they get out there, unfortunately, here's all the uh, kind of the reinforcements that the huts had called for. So they uh, Luke uses the force to knock a bunch of guys off one of the land speeders. Chewie jumps in to pilot it. Everybody else piles on board. Luke kind of stands on the hood of it. So as they're driving, he can deflect laser blasts and, um, you know, prevent them from being killed and, and allow them to escape. And, Luke's wondering as they're fleeing through the streets, being attacked from every side, just how many people are in the Kanji anyway. And uh, I love it. 3PO says, uh, I think all, all of them are. So they put a call out to R2-D2 because uh, he's obviously still uh, on the ship. He didn't uh, accompany them. And they tell him, hey, get the ship ready. We're, we're coming in hot. And they are able to, uh, to jump onto the Millennium Falcon and, uh, and make their escape before they can be uh, caught or and or harmed. So once they have a few moments here, R2's bugging C-3PO again saying, hey, uh, 
R2 has a message for you. He says that he possesses a list of what might be former Jedi outposts across the galaxy, something he acquired in his database when th they were on the Death Star. So if you remember way back in Star Wars Episode 4, when he downloaded the plans of the Death Star to stop and, and got into the database to stop the trash compactor. Um, and he's been apparently processing all that information all this time. And he just finally came across this list that has these possible outposts of Jedi um, kind of strongholds or what have you. And uh, Luke's like, God, you mean I could, there's places I could go. And this is what I was mentioning earlier about getting Luke's story of how he may have uh, been able to continue his training on his own. So there's places where uh, there could be Jedi artifacts, places where he can go and learn more about being a Jedi uh, and enhance his training beyond what he learned from Yoda. And uh, I love what he says here. It seems impossible. It's almost like the force is giving me just what I need when I need it. Um, so that I kind of like that whole idea. So uh, with C-3PO's help, they kind of get the whole list and get it all compiled. And Luke's like, man, there's there's so many outposts are so much on this list it could keep him busy for decades and i don't i don't remember the name of the planet where luke was when he finally shows up at the end of episode seven and is there in episode six trading ray but you wonder if that jedi temple if that wasn't one of the places on this list so that could be charles soul playing the playing the long game so anyway uh Sagwa then comes in and he's he's decided to stay with them. He wants to join the Rebel Alliance. He figured it was time for him to to leave the Smuggler's Moon. And uh, apparently uh, Leia has sent a transmission and they want the Millennium Falcon to return to the fleet immediately because they've received a coded message from an unknown party that claims to be in possession of Han Solo. So we know because we read uh, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha that Boba Fett actually lost uh, Han Solo doesn't is, doesn't have him anymore so you wonder is this legit is this a trap what's going on and we get the little blurb there to be continued in star wars worthy bounty hunters number one so obviously there's going to be some more prelude stuff that comes before that but we may not get a continuation of this particular storyline until the the main ser series starts in june so if we look at the uh, checklist here as you see like i mentioned in may there's three more preludes um, but if you read the little blurbs here, they don't actually talk about kind of anything to do with the, the storylines that we've had so far in Alpha or in Star Wars 13. So Bounty Hunters 12, we're going to be reading about uh, Valence and Dengar as they tear through Shada uh, for Han Solo's location, but Valence can't escape his past or deadly assassin. So you wonder when exactly does Bounty Hunters 12 take place? Are, are they part of the, the bounty hunter group that tracked down Han Solo in that doctor's uh, laboratory and, and stole him? Who knows? Darth Vader 12, uh, is Vader's body and uh, status are restored, you know, repaired after his fight with Luke in uh, the end, at the end of Empire Strikes Back. But his thoughts drift to the past when he first hunted Han Solo after the smuggler defied him at the Death Star. So that seems like uh, Darth Vader 12 is going to be a flashback tell an old Han Solo story. And then Dr. Afra 10, Afra and Santa Staros attempt a daring escape from Yakura and the Unbroken Clan, setting them on a collision course with one of the galaxy's most frightening bounty hunters. So no clue there how that ties in. I mean, is the galaxy's most frightening bounty hunter, is that them running into Boba Fett? Is it somebody else? 
how that's going to tie in. No, no ideas. But uh, like I said, when you read the uh, kind of the, the solicits or the, the, the quick and dirty descriptions of those issues, uh, you know, none of it seems like it's going to really tie into what we've got so far, unless, like I said, that bounty hunters issue uh, takes a step back in time and, uh, and it kind of takes place at the same time as War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha. Like our Valence and Dengar, were they involved in stealing uh, Han Solo and the Carbonite <laughs> from Boba Fett? I guess we'll have to wait and see. And then you can see the rest of the checklist as it um, as it's laid out there uh, from June when the the series starts in earnest with the War of the Bounty Hunters, and then July through uh, through October. So again, really good stuff. Um, it's going to obviously continue and, and tie in. Uh, but I love that you basically have your reading order here, which is basically going to be the uh, the release order. So as long as you're reading them every week as they come out, and uh, most of the time it's going to be one a week. Sometimes there will be uh, two. So uh, it, again, I thought it was a really great issue. I thought that it had the right feel, just like the the alpha issue did. And I love that we get hints of how Luke is going to continue his training. I think Charles Soule does a really good job of getting the the voices of the characters correct in terms of Chewbacca losing his temper, C-3PO being very verbose and, you know, taking 10 minutes to say what he could say in 30 seconds. And, you know, you just want to say shut up 3PO at some points. So uh, I think he does a, a really, really good job. Um, and I'll, I'll get Manny's thoughts here and then I'll talk a little bit about the art. Uh, what did you think about the uh, the uh, uh, the issue, Manny? I really I really liked the issue. It really really felt true to the characters. I think my favorite moments were watching Chewbacca as he usually does, just rage and and just go into uh, go into a gunfight because he's upset. Uh, he 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 doesn't he doesn't handle not getting his way very well, and and it's always it's always funny to to see him kind of act out his his emotions. Uh, just a little uh, blurb on uh, Sagwa. He was actually in uh, Solo, the Star Wars movie. Uh, uh, gotcha. He he was freed by by Chewbacca from one of the planets. I don't I don't have any more details because I don't remember any more details. But yeah, I know that's, that's, that's the else. one. That's the one Star Wars movie that I have not seen. It's not. It's not very good. <laughs> it's not very. Yeah, good. I, I I go back and forth on wanting to see it because I, I hear some people say it's underrated because. Nobody seems to like it, and then I hear other people say, "Yeah, it's not really that great." So I'm sure no. I'll see it. At, I'm sure I'll see it at some point. I had but. to. I had to. I had to get through it three times before I actually saw the whole thing. Wow, that bad, huh? I did. Yeah, I just didn't like it. <laughs> uh, so uh, I I do think that Luke's got a little bit of a like a little swag going on. He. he I really think he's feeling himself after going toe to toe with with Darth Vader and even being being face to face with Darth Sidious. He, you know, he's he's really feeling like a like you know he's 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 doing something and and he's you're really taking it to you know he he sees all these other characters. I think all these other bounty hunters are just thugs. That he's like that art beneath him. So uh it will be interesting to see if he's brought down a notch at all throughout this journey. And kind of like you were saying earlier is how does he get a little bit more experience between the two movies? Because yeah, he, sh- he shows up in return of the Jedi 
demanding Han Solo, doing little flips and everything, and pretty much saving the day uh, with the droids. Uh, you're right. Also about C-3PO, he can shut up sometimes. But I mean, that's just how he is. That's his character. That, that he, he he's he's over dramatic, and, and R2D2 is the cool one. So uh, solid issue. So which is why earlier I was saying, looking forward to see what some of, what some of these other uh, tie-in issues have to offer. Because if if it's as good as this one, uh, you continue to take my money. Yeah, I I agree and. Um, just a word on the art. I think, I think the art suits the book really well. Um, especially the colors from Rochelle Rosenberg. It's, it's sufficiently bright, you know, and when you think about the kind of the cinematography and, and the look of the star Wars movies, they're, they're very brightly lit movies, you know, nothing's muddied in terms of, um, being in shadow or, or whatnot. So Rochelle Rosenberg is, is really the right colorist to do that. And the Ramon Rosanas art, it, it's not you know hyper detailed, but it's it's very good. The, the you know the storytelling from panel to panel and whatnot uh, is really good. I I do think the transitions could be a little better, and and especially where I think there's room for improvement in this art. And again, the art is is definitely above average. It's very very beautiful to look at, but for the most part, the camera in terms of depth of field. It's pretty. It's pretty uh, standard throughout. We're always sort of at the same distance away from the characters, and so I wish that he, you know, I wish we got a little more, uh, you know, zoom in and zoom out. That would make it a little more dynamic, because um, we don't get uh, a whole lot of of that. And I understand that in terms of how much story here it is, it is quite a bit in their in narrative, you know, it's a big chunk of story. There's a lot that, that happens here. And so you can't go with, you know, really big panels or, or really big splash pages to show the detail uh, as much, but he, his art isn't hyper detailed anyway. Um, but it does make, I don't want to say boring because uh, it's not boring at all. There's a lot of action going on, but I, I just think the art would feel more dynamic if he, kind of varied the depth of field a, a little bit more. I mean, he does move the angles around a little bit uh, throughout the, the book. So that's pretty good. Um, so, but I mean, I'm nitpicking, you know, I'd still say the art's a good solid seven or eight out of 10. So, um, and I'd say the color works probably a, a nine. So again, it's just uh, it's just a little nitpick. Um, but I think the art could, could be uh, a little bit better, but overall uh, this was just a really fun uh, issue to read and yeah, like Manny said, uh, I think that this is doing, <laughs> at least for me, this has done exactly what crossovers are supposed to do, which is make me want to go back and read more Star Wars. You know, read read the, go back and read the stuff that I bought. Maybe go back and buy mm-hmm. some trades, or you know, check it out on Marvel Unlimited or or whatnot. So, um, don't know when I'll have time to do, <laughs> to do that. And uh, and you know, Manny and I have been talking about wanting to cover some Star Wars comics because you guys love your star wars so oh yeah uh but yeah i think that's it for me you have anything else to add manny any comments about the art or anything uh no i i thought it was fine that there was there was nothing i didn't think it was yeah i, I think your your rating of a seven to eight is pretty spot on uh with, with everything uh having droids as often i i find it might be annoying for artists especially with one like c3po is supposed to be so shiny 
So yeah, kudos to 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 um artist on that one. I'm sorry, the colorist on that one. Uh, no, but yeah, a solid book and solid with solid art. Yeah, I think um, you know not not to c- compare artists, but uh, uh, you know Steve McNiven that art on on Alpha mm-hmm. was so, was so amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and this you know might be a slight step back, but it, it's still you know absolutely gorgeous. So, and I think uh, I think Marvel knows how important it is to have really good artists on their Star Wars books because when you look at the names of the artists that are on these books, you know, they're they're pretty solid. I mean, we had Salvador Larocca on the, the first Darth Vader series for I think almost the whole run, which is just fantastic. So, uh, but anyway, I think that's going to do it for this in-depth look at basically the second chapter of Star Wars: War of the Bounty Hunters, the second prelude chapter, if you will, Star Wars issue thirteen. So. Uh, be sure if you're uh, watching us on YouTube, on the LRM channel, that you're uh, subscribing and you're smashing that notification button and giving us a like uh, because all that helps us get better access and get better coverage. Um, obviously, if you're listening to us on the podcast, you can head over and you know see the art and uh, see Manny and my smiling faces if you want to check out the YouTube channel. Uh, but we, uh, we appreciate the support as always. We love that you guys listen and watch. And, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't do this if it wasn't for, uh, for your all's interest in it. So uh, we want to thank you, as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.